an introduction to Svalbard. This is the WildEye Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from WildEye, and I've just returned from Svalbard, which, as you might know, is without a doubt one of my most favorite places on the planet. I first visited there in 2013, and every year since, apart from COVID, uh, I've been going back hosting expeditions up there. It's, and I've said this a few times, it feels like you step into a movie when you you arrive there. There's something otherworldly about the harsh beauty of this place. So in a new series of podcasts, I am going to be sharing some details on the places we visit, uh, the history, the background, the biomes and such. I've done one on the Masamara, uh, more on that coming up. But in this episode, I thought, let me touch on Svalbard, kind of just an introduction for those of you that don't know where it is, what it is. And also the naming rights, naming rights, the naming of it. Well, you can't go naming rights because in the past, uh, some people called it Spitsbergen, so they still do. Some call it Svalbard. Let's dig into all of that. So I've gone into some of my guidebooks and stuff and pulled a bunch of information here. And I hope this helps you to understand this incredible place just a little bit more. So as an intro, Svalbard is now a common destination for those connoisseurs of travel who are anxious to see nature in all of its stark beauty. The Arctic archipelago is ideally suited to expedition cruising, and in recent years more and more companies have taken up the challenge of attempting to meet this demand. Now, there is currently some discussions going on um, at top level with the Sisselman or the governor of Svalbard with regards to how they're going to manage the influx of tourists and boats but uh, we're waiting for the feedback on that probably by end of 2024 the guys reckon there might be some changes but for now we'll take it as it is Uh, some of these uh, companies have employed large sometimes very large ships and these only permit landings at Longyearbyen and perhaps New Alicent which is a little research village further north together with if passengers are lucky a cruise around Magdalena Fjord or one of the other fjords on the west coast these are the big fjords These uh, boat trips may serve to whet the appetite only for an extended trip and perhaps a circumnavigation of the islands or of the archipelago. To do this, a much smaller, agile and nimble vessel will be required. These vessels, which are um, able to land passengers by Zodiac inflatables in order to enable them to gain a finer appreciation of the landscape and wildlife then, can be secured simply by gazing at the land from the deck or from a large cruise ship. So I've only ever used smaller vessels, like the, the Stockholm is my favorite without a doubt. Uh, We take 11 guests plus myself, so theoretically 12 people on board plus our two expedition leaders and then the staff. It allows you a lot more freedom to explore the area and to stop, but I'll, I'll cover that in the future episode. So a quick quote here from Xavier Marmier, who in the Spitsbergen Gazette in 20 July 1897 said the following, Stormy shores, sterile mountains, which by the nudity of their soil, the rage of their gales, excite a sentiment in the depth of the soul, deeper and more religious than the awe that pervades the mind of the traveler in the midst of the virgin forest of America. Right? Quite dramatic. But uh, let's go deeper now. For centuries, Spitsbergen has been a destination for travels for a variety of reasons. The first tourists discovered their way to Spitsbergen in the late 19th century, and today, more and more people discover the varied landscapes and the history, the fascination of ice and the flora plagued by the harsh climate, and last but not least, the richness of the wildlife. The the easy accessibility of Spitsbergen, thanks to regular flights, so we normally fly SAS, but I know you can do Norwegian as well, uh, contributes to the development, as does the good tourist infrastructure. 
Options are plentiful from long, physical demanding hiking and skiing tours to ship cruises of differing duration and finally the short stays in the settlement. There's literally anything you can imagine to do in summer and winter you will find here. Now, many questions will arise while traveling along the cold coast or across the tundra and glaciers. Others might come later at home and some have the answers will happen in advance during your early stages of planning. The variety of the bird life and other wildlife, the flora, history, political situation, geology and landscape phenomena, settlements and stations, fjords, unknown islands and famous sites. Whatever you want to know, you are very likely to find it in one of the many guidebooks that you can find, but also when you go on a cruise. I know in our on the trips that I host, we have lectures almost every single day between Christian and Bo, my two expert guides up in Svalbard, my expedition leaders, and myself. We do lectures on polar bears, ice, the history, which I've never really dug deep into the history of some of the places we went to, but the history up in the Arctic is just stupid amazing. So to find out more, there's a bunch of books, and the one that I can recommend is called Spitsbergen Svalbard, A Complete Guide to the Arctic Archipelago. It's by Rolf Stange. Um, I think I've got one of the previous editions, but definitely worth a look. Alternatively, hit me up. I've got more books I can share with you on the history and stuff like that. But uh, let's keep going for now. Now, another quote by Martin Conway from No Man's Land in 1906. The English at first called Spitsbergen Greenland. In ignorant good faith, they continued to do so to assert that it was not a Dutch discovery, and so the name stuck to the island for the best part of two centuries. Now, for those of you that have been or that have looked at it, you'll notice there's two names, Spitsburg and Svalbard, but which one is correct? The nomenclature is by no means easy to understand. In 1194, the Vikings found a cold edge or Svalbard, as their language had it, whatever the edge was in reality. Without any doubt, Willem Barents found several islands of the archipelago in 1596 and called the main one Spitsbergen. It did not take long until the whalers followed Barents. They believed for a long time that Spitsbergen was a part of Greenland. Although the use of this name for Spitsbergen may have been to some degree at least politically motivated, as the quote at the beginning of the session suggests. Observations of current led careful observers as early as 1614 to the assumption that there was no connection between the real Greenland and Spitsbergen. So if you look at a map of Svalbard, you'll see there's like on the left hand side, there's a big triangle with a pointy edge at the bottom and it goes up. That is Spitsbergen, and then you've got more islands on the on the east or on the right-hand side, which then makes up Svalbard. But some people still call the, the entire thing Spitsbergen, but it actually only refers to the one part of it. So let's carry on. The Pomers, hunters from northern Russia, had a similar word for the islands in question. They called it Grumant, possibly derived from the name Greenland. The German ship's doctor, Frederick Martens, who visited Spitsbergen in 1675, invented the German spelling Spitzbergen, so S-P-I-T-Z-B-E-R-G-N, which has also been adopted by some English authors. For centuries, those interested in the cold islands at the northern rim of the world accepted Spitsbergen, or most for most of the German speakers, Spitzbergen. In 1925, the Norwegians were granted sovereignty over Spitsbergen, and along with it, the opportunity to introduce the old Viking term, Svalbard. This was from then on the official name for the whole archipelago, including, including Bjornoya, which is Bear Island, in the south, and Kvitoya, the White Island, in the northeast. They also defined that Spitsbergen should be used when referring to the core archipelago, including the main island together with Nordauslandet 
Ejoya, and Barentsoya, but excluding the outposts of Bjornoya, Hopen, Konkarlsland, and Kvitoya. Fest Spitsbergen was invented as a name for the main island. So like I said, that big triangle on the left of the map, that is Spitsbergen, and then the entire thing together is called Svalbard. It took many years until it was realized that there was no need for two different words for the archipelago, one for the whole group, Svalbard, and then for a larger part of it, Spitsbergen. Spitsbergen, as a geographical term for the core archipelago, could be dropped without any problem and was thus available again for the main island, making the artificial name Fest Spitsbergen unnecessary. This was decided in 16, uh, sorry, 1969. Since then, the situation is officially as follows. Spitsbergen is the main island. Svalbard is the name of the whole archipelago, including the remote islands of Kvitoya, Konkarlsland, Hopen, and Bjornoya. So the naming thing, I've arrived at, like I've, I've traveled through Amsterdam in the past, and when I do my visa, my passport control, they say, where are you going? I'm saying, I'm going up to Svalbard. And these guys look at you like, what? Um, and I say, oh, Spitsbergen, and they get it. So again, Svalbard from the Viking side of things, Spitsbergen from Willem Barents, who, who named it that. Now, Spitsbergen, the name itself, is literally means pointy mountain. Spitz in Afrikaans or Dutch means like uh, pointy, and Berg Mountains, so pointy mountains, and the top northwestern corner of Svalbard, that's where you see those very high pointed mountains, um, and then Svalbard, the cold coast from the Viking side. Anyway, so let's look at this. Svalbard is situated between 74 degrees and 81 degrees north, and 10 degrees, 35 degrees east. The archipelago has a land surface of about 61,000 square kilometers, which is about the same size as Scotland, or one and a half times larger than Switzerland. The surface area of the main island, Spitsbergen, is 37,000 square kilometers, of which about 22,000 square kilometers is glacier covered. The next largest islands are Nordauslandet, which is about 14,000 square kilometers, Ejoya at 5,000 square kilometers, and Barentsoya at 1,300 square kilometers. Now, the human population of Svalbard is close to 2,800 people, which is not a, not a lot. And if you've seen Longyearbyen, and you've been to Longyearbyen, I'll do a standalone episode on Longyearbyen as well, then you'll see that it's, um, it's a very, very small place. So again, the human population is about 2,800, and they divide it as follows. In Longyearbyen itself, right? So it's, it's a Norwegian, uh, I almost said city town, with an international mixed population of about 2,000. At Svegruvra, a Norwegian mining settlement, there's about 225 people. Barentsburg, which is a Russian, Russian mining settlement, 420. New Alessund, which is a Norwegian and international research village, about 40 permanent residents, and about 100 or so that join them in the summer for field work. At Hornsund, there's about nine people living. At Hopen, there's four in a Norwegian weather station. Bjornoya, a Norwegian weather station, nine. Kap Lin, which is a former Norwegian weather and radio station, now a hotel, there's three people. At Kap Veik, in Isfjord, private-owned Norwegian trapping station, there's one. And then in, um, in Kap Skolen, which is a private-owned Norwegian trapping station, also one person living there. So... Very interesting place. Um, like I said, in the past, I've gone to places and I was never quite into the history. But when you start hearing about uh, Roald Amundsen and Nansen 
and Andre and what they did up there and how they lived. And when you see the cabins they lived in and when you visit New Alassund where a lot of the history plays from, it's just, it's incredible. And for me, I'm, I'm totally fascinated. I'm, I'm diving through a lot of these guidebooks and just eating this up. So for this episode, I'm going to leave you with this. It's a quote from James Lamont um, from Seasons with the Seahorses in 1861. He said, nothing can exceed the sublime grandeur of a really fine day in these regions. I'll leave you with that. Uh, I still have to work through all my images from the last trip. And in one of the next episodes, I'm going to look at the, the seasons in uh, Svalbard, when to visit, how to visit. I'm also going to be looking at Longyearbyen as a town, a little bit of the history, and then also New Alessund, which has um, a huge amount of Arctic expedition history caught up in it. For now, though, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me, jerry at wildeye.com, G-E-R-R-Y at wildeye, two words, W-I-L-D hyphen E-Y-E, Dot com, And um, if you are wanting to read up, go and look for the book Spitsbergen's Svalbard, A Complete Guide Around the Arctic Archipelago by Rolf Steinge. M- mail me and I can send you a link as well. Covers everything you need to know. Guys, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for lending me your ears. I will chat you in the next episode. My name is Jerry. I'm from Wild Eye. Bye for now. <laughs>